The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. We always say it, we mean it, and we think it's true. Let's see what the buzz is today. I want to say the word on the street, but instead I think I'm going to say the word on the ice. Let me tell you why. I have a quote from Wayne Gretzky. You probably heard it many times, but it's very apropos to our topic today in a kind of a weird way, kind of a long-distance way. The quote is, you always miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Just let that sink in. He's doing an interesting mathematical equation here. Wayne Gretzky, of course, born in 1961, Canadian former professional ice hockey player, and he's on record as being the leading scorer in NHL history. Look him up if you want to know more. So what are we talking about? Well, we're not talking about hockey. Come on, we could, though. It's Coffee Break with Game Changers. We're talking about risk. Four-letter word has a lot of clout with people in the business world. So let's look at what's been happening with risk. There have been so many negative headlines about companies that I will politely say have made regulatory missteps, a.k.a. run afoul of the regulators. Why? Maybe they have lax internal controls. Maybe they just weren't looking when things were going in the wrong direction. However, with all these headlines serving as warning signs, as red flags, if you will, many businesses still don't get it as far as the pitfalls of risk in their business. They're just trying to play catch-up. They're not on board yet. Let's talk about the opposite side of the spectrum. We have risk-aware organizations. Is yours one? They are successfully framing risk as an enabler of business performance. They're not just containing it, stopping it, mitigating it. They're saying we need to embrace risk as part of what we do day-to-day in our processes and our culture because anything worth doing probably has some kind of risk. That goes back to my quote. Now you get it. You always miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Aha, Bonnie's making sense. So if you are in the catch-up group, Let's look at what technology can do for you. We have something called cloud. We have analytics. We have robotics. We have AI. We have IoT. We have all kinds of things, machine learning. Can these new innovative technologies help you gain a competitive edge by embedding effective risk management in everything you do? Aha, there's the question of the day. Let me tell you who my three esteemed panelists are, and then we'll get started. First up, we're very pleased to welcome actually two gentlemen from EY, Ben Zimmerman, who's a partner in the advisory services practice of Ernst & Young LLP, we call them EY, as well as his colleague Brian Ocampo, a senior manager in the advisory services practice at EY. And joining us is a repeat panelist. He's been on a couple of our shows. It's Kevin McCollum. 
global solution owner for SAPGRCS. So I'm going to circle back to the other side of the table now, back to Ben Zimmerman, who has sent us a quote from Mark Zuckerberg. And I thought, what could I say about Mark Zuckerberg? We have him quoted so often. First of all, his full name is Mark Elliot Zuckerberg, and Elliot spelled with two L's and a T because a lot of people spell it different ways. He was born in 1984. You know the name, co-founder of Facebook, and he's currently its chairman and CEO. Just a side note, he is worth about $63.3 billion as of two months ago, and he's ranked by Forbes as the fifth richest person in the world. Let's just let that alone. Talk about risk. Okay, he gets it. Here's the quote. The biggest risk is not taking any risk in a world that is changing really quickly. The only strategy that is guaranteed to fail is not taking risks. I can't imagine him using risk any more times in one sentence. How are you, Ben Zimmerman? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Bonnie. I'm doing well. Thanks for picking this quote. Talk to me. We're talking about business risk. Uh, that's what Mark Zuckerberg is all about. I think he, he mastered some huge risks. So talk to me about reflections on what Mark Zuckerberg would say about my opening today. Ben? Oh, absolutely. And I picked this quote because it resonated with me in, in two forms, personally and professionally. And I, I think that the Facebook story is, is just a great example of an organization that leaned into risk align their risk strategies with their business opportunities. And the success is a story that we all know well. And, you know, I think it's taking that childhood uh, experience that, you know, for me, it's eight years old standing on the high dive at the local pool and being encouraged by family members to jump. And I, I think you start to instill that early. And I, I take that to the business side and look at, if you don't lean in and embrace risk, and tie it to your business strategy in today's disruption-full business world, I think you get left behind. Very interesting. Uh, what's the appetite for risk? Is that a, a fair word to use, Ben, the appetite for risk? Let, let's do this a little a demographic look, if you don't mind. And Brian and, and Kevin, we'll get to you in just a second, but I'm interested. Do you think there's an appetite for risk among, let's say, younger demographics like the, uh, the millennials who are almost 35 years old this year, the leading edge of the millennial generation cohort, and uh, they've come up through the digital age. That's where they were born and cut their teeth on digital and mobile. So do you think they're more prone if they're running a company to say, yes, we want to try that versus, let's say, somebody who's been in the business world, maybe a C-suite person for 20, 30 years already? What's your point of view on that? Well, absolutely. First off, I'm stunned that uh, millennials are approaching 35. It's making me feel old, Bonnie. <laughs> but no, absolutely. I think with any transformation, um, whether it's merger acquisition, whether it's retirement in the workforce, there is a lot of opportunity. There is more comfort with technology in the millennials that we see. But, you know, I think there's also a transition piece of what do you need to do to build a risk-aware organization. And there's a lot of components that work well already in place. It's how do you take that to the next level? I think millennials are an avenue to drive that direction. But I think there's, there's probably more to it in the big picture that I think we'll get through today. Thank you very much. And just interestingly, a moment ago, Ben, you mentioned leaning into risk. And that reminded me, of course, Sheryl Sandberg is also a C-suite person at Facebook working with Mark Zuckerberg. I thought that was a nice little segue whether you realized you said it or not. You did. So I picked up on that. And thank you very much. I am listening. Ben Zimmerman, welcome. And now let's turn to your colleague, Brian Ocampo, also at EY. 
Brian has sent us a very interesting quote from Eric Schmidt. Interestingly, the three panelists, Ben, Brian, and Kevin, have all sent us quotes from people who are alive, uh, one born in 55, one born in 42, and one born in 84. They're all very interesting leaders in their individual fields, and it's rare that we get three quotes of people who are still with us in this world. I don't know why that struck me, but it just did a little sidebar there. So Brian has sent a quote from Eric Schmidt, American software engineer, businessman, and the executive chairman of Alphabet. He was ranked this year by Forbes as the 119th richest person in the world. He's worth only, sorry, Eric, $11.1 billion compared to Zuckerberg, worth $63.3 billion. So you can see the the uh, the depths of wealth in this country. One is fifth at 63 and the other is 119th at 11. Wouldn't we all love to be somewhere in the middle? Yes, I can say that. Here is the quote from Eric Schmidt. Data is the sword of the 21st century. Those who wield it well, the samurai. Ooh, what a dramatic and picturesque quote. Brian Ocampo, welcome to Coffee Break. How are you? Good morning, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. We're delighted. Talk to me about the quote. Are you a big fan or follower of Eric Schmidt? And talk to me about the sword, the data, the samurai. I'm conjuring up a movie here in my mind. Who's in the movie? <laughs> sure, absolutely. And, you know, I think I picked this because if you think about risk management as a topic today, many companies really struggle to generate insight and harness the power of data in how it can guide a company navigate through very complex regulatory and business environments today. So, you know, as I talk about uh, risk and data going forward here, you know, what you can really think about is that those that are able to use data properly to get the right information to the right people at the right time within a company are those that are poised to, to really take advantage of risks. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of this trend more and more for many companies, the technology is here to do that, but the use cases are starting to become much more interesting. So tell me about the samurai. Let's relate that to business today. Would you say that, uh, for example, Mark Zuckerberg has wielded the sword of data here in the 21st century and he is a samurai? How, how can we relate that so that the audience will say, aha, we're there or nope, we're just kind of taking uh, fencing lessons? What do you think? Yeah, and Mark would be one of them. Eric would be, I mean, a lot of these tech companies, they use data very well. So, you know, they're able to take that data and extract it and really use it in ways and how they manage the business. And I think that's where this movie comes alive in, in the, you know, in the, in the today's world, <laughs> that there are a lot of these companies now that have really lock, unlocked, I should say, you know, insights on how a lot of this data is being generated. Okay, we're going to be talking about that a lot. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to have you on the show. And now Kevin McCollum, SAPGRCS, and he's got a quote from Tom Peters. I don't have any financial uh, calculations here for Tom Peters, Kevin. I don't know where he ranks on the Forbes top anything, but he's a young guy as far as I'm concerned, born in 1942. He's an American writer on business management, best known for his book, In Search of Excellence. And to be uh, detailed here, he co-authored it with Robert H. Waterman, Jr. I don't 
don't know if anybody knows who Waterman is, but he's the co-author. Uh, here's an interesting accolade for Peters. In 1995, oh my, that was a long time ago, the New York Times called Tom Peters one of the top three business gurus in highest demand as a speaker. The other two were Daniel Burris and Roger Blackwell. I'm not familiar with either one of them, so Tom Peters is the name that has the longevity here. Here's the quote, and it's a good one. Test fast, fail fast, adjust fast. Kevin McCollum, welcome back. How have you been? I have been looking forward to being back, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Oh, you are so kind. What a nice thing to say. So talk to me. I love this. I'm thinking while I'm reading the quote, test fast, fail fast, adjust fast. I'm thinking how fast I can say it and still be uh, coherent. But I'm I'm thinking of the Eric Schmidt quote about the samurai, and I'm seeing somebody with data as the 21st century sword, Kevin, wielding the sword. Yes, I've tested fast. Okay, I failed. I'm adjusting fast. Can you see a relationship between the quotes? If not, just tell me. Absolutely. Uh, you know, data is the lifeblood of being able to understand uh, one of the things you mentioned, uh, risk appetite. So how much, how much risk am I really willing to take on? Uh, the data will tell you that. What has worked in the past, what will work, it gives a good guide to what can work in the future as well as um, data to help you predict where a particular path is going to go. Um, and fail fast. Understand how much failure you're willing to tolerate before you're going to give up on a project, right? Um, mm-hmm. I gave a, a later example of Apple and their iDevices, and we, we can talk more about it later, but you know, I'm sure there's a large segment of the population that looks at Apple and iDevices as an overnight success, Right. The reality is it was a tw- nearly a 20-year overnight success and a masterwork in managing risk in one of the most risk-fraught areas, innovation, okay, and mm-hmm. adjust. So just as Edison found 5,000 ways not to make a light bulb and then finally found the right way to make a light bulb, uh, it's being able to adjust your plan, keep your, you know, keeping your eye on the objective, understanding when You've gone too far with the risk, and as I said, rinse and repeat, test fast, fail fast, and adjust fast. Very interesting. And let me ask you a question. I didn't ask this to Brian, but I will circle around to him. Kevin, I asked uh, Ben Zimmerman a moment ago about which demographic in the workplace today, let's say in the management echelons, which one has a stronger appetite for risk and we talked about millennials he was abashed that they're turning 35 in the next couple of months the leading edge of millennials so what do you think is there a particular demographic or this test fast especially the fail fast part kevin do we see this in senior managers who've been around for a long time do they have that appetite are they saying what fail are you serious that's not going to look good on my resume what do they say well imagine how i feel when i have two millennial sons. So um, <laughs> I, I'm feeling really old, but uh, it, it's interesting when I look at both of them um, uh, as a sort of a proxy for a generation, um, I really am, I, I'm really proud of what and, 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 and excited about what millennials are doing. Um, but I think it's less to do with the generation, and I think it has a lot to do with personality. I think it has a lot to do with... Mm-hmm understanding that, again, personality is a piece of it. There are just some people who are just basically risk-averse. But people, 
I'm going to put this out here, out there. Yeah. People are more willing to take a risk, regardless of the ge- the generation they're from, or even from the nature of their DNA, if they understand the ability. Basically, if they understand the amount of risk they're going to be be taking, their their exposure to it, and their own ability to overcome that risk. And I'm going to say that anybody's able to take a risk if they understand those things and uh, and and make sensible decisions based on those two pieces of data: risk appetite and risk exposure. Thank you, Brian I don't Ocampo. Think it by generation. Good, good point on that, Brian. We have a couple of different points of view on this. I want to get you in on this part of the discussion. Risk appetite is it generational? Is there a propensity among certain age groups? Or let's not even say chronological age. What about business age? Meaning how long you've been in the workforce, in management, uh, in the perspective, whether it's a startup or, or a big—I call them big behemoth enterprises. How long you've been in the business of being in business, Brian? What's your thought? Yeah, sure, absolutely. And, you know, I think I, I, I do agree with Kevin. It's less to do with the, the, the generational, you know, the age of the, the person. It, to me, it's more the mindset. And, you know, a lot of companies that have a mindset that taking risks is just part of what it takes to be successful are those that encourage their people to really, you know, approach this mantra of test fast, fill fast, and adjust fast. You know, some of the the tech companies really embrace that culture and, and other more traditional companies are headed there as well. But it's, um, you know, relating it back to Ben's point earlier, if you're encouraged to do that, you know, with his family and, and jumping to the pool, like leaning into the risk, and that's the environment that you're growing up with, then you kind of grow up with that courage to try and experiment on different things. And, and you know, looking at failure as just, you know, a step to get to the right answer. Thank you. Ben, anything you want to add now that the other two have weighed on on this topic before I ask you where you're calling from and what's in your cup today and taking a risk on telling us something personal? Ben, any thoughts <laughs> on what Brian and Kevin just share with us? I, you know, I just agree with, with both statements. You know, looking at, at Kevin's comments around if you have the right information and it's relevant to your risk exposure so you know what your risks are, I think that you'll see propensity to move forward and and up that risk appetite. Um, So I just thought that was phenomenal how that laid out. Good. I'm thinking we've done several shows on something called design thinking. And in design thinking, of course, that quote that Kevin shared from uh, Tom Peters, test fast, fail fast, adjust fast, fail fast, fail often. Uh, I think that's built into the mindset. I think that was Kevin's word, the mindset, or maybe it was Brian's. Uh, It's built into the mindset of people who go into design thinking workshops, design thinking training. And that's probably a way that the risk appetite might be broadened for people who were not brought up with that, who don't understand that or they're risk averse because of their thought, I can't fail. It's not going to look good. What will people say? Oh, my goodness, my investors. Oh, my goodness, the public. Oh, my goodness, the headlines. So let's leave that on the table for a second. I'm going to turn around to Ben Zimmerman and say, Ben, we'd like to know if you're going to be risking some personal information here, not too personal. I don't want the Google map coordinates of the of your roof of your house or your office or the door number of your office. We just love to know where in the world are you calling from? And what are you drinking right now if it's interesting, Ben? If not, what's the drink in 
the whole wide world that makes you feel most alive or happiest. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. So today I am calling from a very cloudy Minneapolis, Minnesota office. Um, so your, your hockey quotes really resonated growing up here. That's something I did quite often. So I am drinking coffee, so I'm going to bypass that. I'm going to talk a little bit. I spend time in the automotive and transportation industry, and, and that gets me over to Japan. And there is, there is something with Japanese culture that's always really resonated with me, and I think so much is in presentation, not contents. But uh, when I am there... At the end of a long day, I like to drink warm sake, disguise the brand out of a mm. box, out of a wooden box. And it's just something what? about it. I, I brought it back to the U.S. and tried to replicate. It just is not the same. So I'm going to tie it to uh, great culture, great country. Really? Sake in a box? I, they don't offer it in a box when you... Uh, oh, I'm looking at a little uh, glass here, sake in a box images. I Googled it, and I see a beautiful little... looks like a shot glass, and yep. it's sitting in a little wooden box. Is that the way it's served? Yes. It's just uh, it's phenomenal when you're there to experience it. And uh, having it warm, for some reason, it, it kind of makes it feel medicinal uh, <laughs> and maybe justifies how many you can have, I would say. Ah, <laughs> oh, I need to be cured. Pour another one, bartender. I can see it now. Thank you. Very interesting. I really enjoyed that image. I did not know that. We're always interested in, in people bringing drinks to the show, Ben, that we've never heard of before, and, and you surprised me with that one. Thank you. Brian Ocampo, there is no challenge here. You're not at risk of sharing a story of something a little more mundane. So go ahead, Brian. Where are you, and what do you love to drink? I am dialing in from cloudy San Francisco today, and I am sipping a hot chocolate. It is uh, not your usual hot chocolate that you buy. I'm uh, drinking something that we typically make in the Philippines, which is where I'm originally from. And, you know, just a kind of factoid, in uh, some parts of the country where we make hot chocolate, we mix some ground peanuts into it. So if you can think of a dark hot chocolate drink with hints of peanut butter, that's what I'm having. Wow. Now, do you make this at home? Do you grind the peanuts and, and use uh, cocoa powder and add a little bit of sweetener to it? Or is this something you can get, quote unquote, in a box? Where do you find this mixture, Brian? It sounds wonderful. Yeah, a lot of it is homemade. And actually, this recipe that I have are uh, family handed down recipes. So you won't find this in their typical grocery. And what kind of cocoa do you use? Is it right out of a box? Something like Drosties or Nestle's or Hershey's? I, I buy dry cocoa and make my own uh, little bit of chocolate syrup from time to time. So I'm, I'm on board with that. Never heard of peanuts in it. But for those who don't have peanut allergies, it sounds heavenly. Do you, do you mix everything together in a blender or in a little cup? How do you do it? Mix it in a blender. And unfortunately, here it's hard to source the original cocoa that we get back home. So mm-hmm. I buy my Hershey's and that's close enough. There you go. Sugar or agave or something or a fake sweetener? What's your preference? Sugar is my my way. I knew I liked you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't take the risk of admitting that, so I'm just saying, yeah, that's okay. Kevin McCollum, no challenge to you, no risk here. Kevin, where are you and what are you drinking? I'm in partly sunny and beautiful uh, Michigan area, Ann Arbor, Michigan area at home today, working from home. 
And what are you drinking? And what's in my cup? And what's in my cup? Um, was that the next question? What's in my cup? Yes. All right. So nothing too interesting right at the moment, but I had an interesting experience. Uh, I'm a tea drinker, and um, I also like a, 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 a Guinness Stout every now and then. And the, if mm-hmm. um, you've had it at the finer uh, establishments, pubs, they actually draft it with nitrogen. So they, put, they, they, they use nitrogen as the propellant, if you will, to bring it out of the keg. And there is now a nitrogen-drafted tea. And what it does is basically takes the tea and gives mm-hmm. it a nice, creamy consistency like a Guinness Stout. But it um, nice, creamy consistency, but it doesn't taste like it's full of hot air, if you will. It's just creamy and gives a really nice texture to the, to, to the tea. And you can do it with pretty much any tea. So places are hard to find, tea houses and whatnot, but, um, but keep, keep an eye out for it. I will. Very interesting. We have a, uh, an influx of Asian residents in my community here in, on Long Island, Kevin, and I noticed that one of the new five new restaurants that opened a couple of blocks from where, where my office is, is a tea house. And I looked up their website and I didn't see any food on the menu, but I saw a lot of drinks and some very expensive pots of tea. I'm going to go in and try that. I think that sounds very interesting. Thank you. I will take a risk. We are talking obviously about risk, dropping that four letter word off. All over the place. Our topic formally is No Reward Without Risk, your company in the digital economy. We're speaking with three experts in this field, Ben Zimmerman at EY, Brian Ocampo at EY, and Kevin McCollum at SAP. I have to do a shout out to EY Alliances for tweeting and to my colleague Alicia Rudolph at SAP, works on the strategic partnership team. Thank you, Alicia. She's listening and retweeting as well. And to uh, Brian Borkin, and we have some people at EY who helped set up this wonderful panel. Shout out to everybody involved. I think Rui was involved at EY. So thank you to everyone. We're going to take a quick break. And during that break, I'm going to be chatting with my panelists, especially Ben Zimmerman. And we're going to pick the topic we will use to start the roundtable officially when we come back. So 90 seconds, not a long time. Go get a drink. Go get a smile. We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Kevin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Indeed, let's get back. And I have to acknowledge a few more tweeters. We have Jennifer Lampson tweeting and retweeting here. Thank you, Jennifer. She's retweeting me at SAP Radio and Alicia Rudolph at SAP. And we have somebody named S3CMAS73R. That's a heck of a name, whoever you are. Thank you for the retweet. We really appreciate it. And EY underscore Alliances is also listening and tweeting. We love a Twitter party. Good conversation. Today, talking about no reward without risk, your company in the digital economy. We've been heavily into the word risk in the first half. Let's see where we go in the second. Ben Zimmerman at EY is going to start the roundtable, and here's what Ben told me to kick off this topic from his notes before the show. He says, EY surveyed more than 1,000 companies about how they're managing risks. We found that over 85% of these companies indicated opportunity exists to further improve the linkage between risk and business performance. That's where we want to go. And, Ben, let's tie that into the digital economy. So why don't you talk to us, please? Absolutely. So, you know, I think when you, when you get a broad review of 1,000 global companies and you see that percentage come back as relatively high that there's opportunity for improvement, I think it goes back to some core fundamentals. And it's understanding, do you have a risk-aware organization that's leaning into risk. So, you know, I'm going to take it a step back and and just say for for the clients I interact with, almost every company has had a 2020 vision or strategy. They're named different things, but it's all all similar. And as we're getting closer to that, just think about how often do they adjust? Because when we talk about timely review of risk, which is not just containing it, it's thinking about risk as the upside potential as well. And it's understanding how to identify, manage, and respond to risk in a way that it's tied to your business objectives. When you package that together, that's the challenges that we see. So when the numbers come back and you see a high percentage that there's opportunity for improvement, I think it's across the entire organization. And I know we'll get into the line of defense model a little bit further in the conversation, but we can talk a little bit about how that aligns over the best practice in the industry of the three lines of defense and move forward as needed. Thank you very much. Brian Ocampo, please chime in on this. What do you think? Sure, absolutely. And, you know, to to add to Ben's point, I think a lot of companies that, you know, do not really do a good job of linking risk to business performance, some of that is rooted in the fact and how they're organized. And because risk is something that typically is owned by many parts of an organization, you know, it, it's hard to make that linkage to how you drive, let's say, a finance function or a supply chain function. So a lot of the, these um, opportunities to link risk and business performance can be traced back in some ways to how an organization builds silos and, and if they view risk and performance as two separate things or just opposite sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Kevin McCollum, love to get your thoughts on this. I think we're all headed in the same direction. What do you think? Well, uh, 
So uh, hats off to Ben and the EY team. I think the survey um, is, does a fantastic job of highlighting uh, the issue. And actually, I think it, I'm going to steal Cheryl and Ben's quote, leans into um, mm-hmm. one of the, the big inhibitors or um, obstacles to embracing risk, to truly um, dealing with risk, and companies don't know how to get started. And Ben and I think Brian both said it. There are best practices, right? So three lines of defense is, is not a piece of software. It's not a piece. It's, it's not a uh, lofty white paper. It's truly a set of best practices for embracing risk, understanding your risk appetite, understanding your risk profile, your program's risk profile, and then executing against that. So um, I, I, I think risk is an evolving topic. It's been evolving for hundreds of years because risk is dynamic and it changes. There is a set of timeless best practices out there, such as line of defense, that can help people take the plunge and start becoming a risk-aware organization and using that to outpace their competitors by taking calculated risks. Thank you, Kevin. I want somebody now, since we've dropped this term a couple of times from Ben and from Kevin, who wants to explain three lines of defense? Let's do this so our listeners aren't saying, what? I know we've talked about it on our Financial Excellence with Game Changers series, but they haven't been on the air this year yet. They are coming back soon. So, Ben, since you started, do you want to just explain these, please? <clears throat> Absolutely. Excuse and, me. you know, I, I think to Kevin's point, this model is something that fits in a lot of organizations. It's technology agnostic, um, but it helps us focus on how to get lines one and two really functioning efficiently and effectively. So when we say the line of defense model, when we say first line, we're talking about the business people, the day-to-day, someone in the plant, somebody that would be responsible for performing a control within the business. When you move to the second line, that becomes more of your management, your compliance function, someone that's doing your scoping, defining risk appetite, and other things. And that third line turns into independent assurance, whether it's your internal audit function or your external auditor. So it's working across those lines that resonate with organizations, and it's helping them understand where will process improve, where will technology help this, but... There's also one further up in my mind that I'm seeing start to come together over these last few years because the technology's there. ERP vendors, cloud migration, all that is, is really a full pace race right now, and that is going well. It's how do you take and apply this LOD model enhancement as you're going through a large transformation? But the, the piece that I was referencing that needs to be there is that top executive buy-in. So there is a channel above the third line that you have to understand. It starts at the top from your organization that you fully understand how your first, second, and third line operate. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Yes, we have talked about that on our other series, but this is a first time in a long time on Coffee Break that we've covered the financial risk and the business risk topic, so I appreciate that. I almost want to pick one more topic here quickly from your list, Ben, before I move to Brian's. Uh, just let me let me read this statement and have you quickly uh, talk about it. You say 77% of the surveyed companies surveyed by EY, and when was this study, Ben? Can you give us a reference point, please? Uh, this data pulled, I believe, was 2016. 
Okay, so it's it's I consider that recent, and that's interesting because of what I'm about to ask you, what I'm about to say. You say 77% of the survey companies evaluate their organization's risk profile on an annual basis. Is this good practice? Is this something they should be doing, or should it be every six months or every quarter? What do you think? Let me just go quickly around the table. Ben, good practice? Not yet. Uh, not not yet, but you know I think organizations depend my i don 't have a finite definition of you know quarterly monthly it 's whenever you need to be agile and make business change that 's when risk should be at the table and aligned to your objectives. so the frequency of that makes sense um, and it 's typically driven by the business okay, Brian quickly agree with annual is that enough? What do you think? I have an it depends answer on that because it it really comes down to the type of risk that you want to monitor. So, you know, not all data that moves fast needs to be looked at in real time um, because it just comes down to, you know, what are you trying to manage? What are you trying to take advantage of? If you think about data related to supply chain or cybersecurity or fraud, I mean, those are fast-moving data that you want to have a handle on on a very periodic, you know, almost real-time basis, but you take a step back and, and look at some of the risks that are more strategic, that needs kind of time for you to, to, to digest, um, you know, that's not a, that doesn't need to be a very frequent type of um, risk profiling. So it really comes down to how you define that strategy. Thank you. Kevin McCollum, what, what side of the fence are you on here? I'm going to take this from a purely from a, I'm going to say from a purist perspective. Annual basis is a good start, and it will be the cadence that you evaluate some of the risks, such as strategic risks like Ben, uh, or like Brian mentioned, you don't want to be changing strategy on a dime every day. But frankly, operational risks and even some strategic risks, you need to have almost a real-time view on some of those things if you're making um, important decisions. So I'm going to say annual is a step. The more frequently leading towards continuous monitoring is really, um, it, it, it is really the objective. Thank you very much. Good around the table. Brian Ocampo, I'm looking at your notes here. Let's talk about digital. That was part of our opening topic. You say in a digital world, Organizations must view technology more and more as a way to efficiently execute and sustain responses to their risk. What kinds of tech are we talking about, Brian? Sure. And, and, you know, there's a lot of technology today that help companies manage risk. Traditionally, you know, what we've seen is um, there are some governance, risk and compliance, or GRC technology that help companies execute certain controls or monitor generate some reports at a point in time, but broader than that, what we're seeing more of is technology related to risk analytics and and how you can drive deep insight into what's happening in your organization. So, you know, to take an example from what Kevin pointed out, you know, from an operational perspective, it's technology, for example, that collects all the, the movements of your inventory movement, you know, of your inventory and being able to isolate where anomalies are, you know, where are the areas where, let's say, there's a high threat of theft or, mm-hmm. or in obsolete goods that are not moving and, and being able to push that into the organization faster. So, um, you know, it's analytics technology. I think that the, the direction of these, com- you know, technologies that are and how it's helping manage risk are more moving towards how you, you generate data and, and unlock the, the, the power that it can bring in terms of the insights. 
Thank you very much. Very important. I was hoping you would go there, uh, Kevin McCollum. Thoughts about analytics. Is that the key? Is that the best way to use technology to efficiently identify and respond to and embrace risk in the best possible way? Analytics is a big part of it. Um, uh, A risk-aware, a a culture that embraces risks, practices and policies that acknowledge risk throughout the business cycle, be it operational or be it strategic um, business cycle, is actually key to, practices are key and analytics, big data analytics, provide the information, the grist for the mill to understand how we're track how business, uh, business initiatives and strategies are tracking towards our overall objectives and, and how at risk they are. So I think the practices and the processes and these best practices that we talked about a little bit with three lines of defense are, are, are really the key. And then using the analytics to, to, to help guide that. Thank you, Ben Zimmerman. Love to get your thoughts. Agree or disagree? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it was important, Bonnie, and you you kind of were able to seek that out. The risk categorization of strategic, preventable, and external. How we think about that absolutely kind of uh, would impact the the frequency. So I agreed with with both Kevin and Brian on that. I think one thing I wanted to comment on related to analytics um, in a continuous monitoring format. I think the the challenge we see and a lot of the conversations I'm having with clients today are around what do I do now that I have the data? So really for them to be able to understand their risk profile and lean into it, look for the upside of risk, they need actionable steps that are coming out of the analytics. Um, they need to be able to see trends. They need to be able to see how serious this actually is across their business. And I think technology is getting there. And so now the, the step becomes, as that continues, how do you do the other components of the organization to get the process and the people aligned? Thank you very much. Brian, this was your topic. I'm going to let you wrap it up. Anything you want to add about what Kevin and Ben said? No, I mean, I think it, it kind of... Um reinforces the point pretty well. I mean, the one thing I would just leave is that a lot of the analytics now are moving from just descriptive to more predictive analytics, and that's where we, we're seeing a lot of um, value for the business in terms of, you know, if something is about to go wrong in the company and, and you have the ability to prevent that or manage that sooner than later, you know, that's really where I think the future will be in terms of um, how you can leverage data and, and, and risk management. Thank you very much. Kevin McCollum, I'm looking at your notes. We've already covered quite a few things, but I found two nuggets here I don't think we did. Uh, number one, you say, uh, this stuff doesn't have to be hard, time-consuming, or labor-intensive. I think you're talking about best practices, three lines of defense, embracing analytics, bringing risk into the fabric of your company's day-to-day and what your management sees as, yes, we have to pay attention to this. How easy is it, Kevin? What do you think? Well, anything that involves organizational change is going to meet with resistance. And the, uh, so having a solid organizational change approach to creating a risk-aware organization is going to be key. Um, honestly, that's going to be as 
anybody in business knows today, that's going to be the um, the time challenge, um, mm-hmm. and it will be the time challenge will be directly proportional to your commitment to organ- managing the organizational change. The rest of it, the blueprint, uh, such as lines of defense that we've been talking about, and the enabling technologies, uh, the critical analytics that, as Ben said, or as Brian said, even lean into predictive analytics. Where you know where might this actually go? Let's do some scenarios. That stuff's all out there. It's available and it's malleable and flexible for people to implement their risk-aware business strategies uh, today. So it's no surprise, it's organizational change as it always is and managing effectively through that. Kevin, I have a question for you. I often ask this when we get into this type of topic. We talk about, and, and I address this as well to Ben and Brian at EY, we talk about companies should, companies must. It's in companies' best interest to fill in the dotted line, fill in the blank. My question is, Kevin, and I'll go around the table on this, um, whose job is it in the company? Does it come from the very top? Is it in the C-suite? Do you need a chief risk officer? Do you need a CRAO, chief risk awareness, or chief risk LIO, lean-in officer? Who do you need to lead the charge to make this part of the everyday life of the company? Kevin, where where does it start? Or does it come from uh, mid-level managers looking at their areas of business, their lines of business, and saying, yes, we need to we need to embrace risk from a standpoint of how do we innovate? How do we stay competitive? What risks are we willing to take? How are we willing to mitigate it when it doesn't work out? What's your thought, Kevin? I think there are pockets of entrepreneurship in every company, um, even if they don't have formal risk awareness or risk policies in their organization. Ultimately, it starts with the tone from the top. Okay. Ben Zimmerman, what do you think? Agree or disagree? I agree. You know, so many clients, maybe maybe it's just a title or the, the risk-related activity funnels up through the CIO if it's more IT-driven in the history of that company or the CFO if it's financial. There needs to be a tone at the top, um, and I think it's ideal if there is a position defined that crosses the boundaries, crosses IT and the business, and has a view of compliance and external risks as well. Okay, good points there. And Brian Ocampo, agree or disagree? What do you say? What do you see? I agree, and, I, and I'll expand to it. I, I think in, in, in addition to the tone at the top, usually the, the push towards becoming risk-aware organization starts from a place where there, a pain has been felt. So, you know, let's say a controls fail, uh, internal control failed or, or there's something that didn't happen right, and you have... You know, a set of people, good corporate citizens that would take on, you know, how do we improve risk management in their particular area? And sometimes it's a grassroots effort, right? And once you get a sponsor at the top, that's how you're able to spread it across the entire organization. So there's a number of different ways on where it starts, but ultimately you need a tone at the top and then people who are able to realize that vision underneath. Thank you, and gentlemen. Kevin, one, yes, the, please one, go ahead. One quick comment to that, a, a mm-hmm. tip for our listeners. If your organizations truly have put wood behind concepts like empowerment, entrepreneurship, um, at risk-taking, or, and risk-taking in its more obvious forms, um, you have an open invitation to, 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 to embrace risk, understand it, not make rash decisions, but 
to embrace risk, take a risk, and help move your company forward at whatever level of the organization you're in. So empowerment, entrepreneurship, just a few code words for that organizational change to embracing risk. Thank you very much. And I want to, we have, oh, about three minutes until we get to our crystal ball predictions round. I'm scouring all of your notes, gentlemen. Uh, you did, all were so well prepared and sent me so much great information. Brian Ocampo, there's one quick thing here I'd like you to talk about. You say, generally, harnessing data for the specific purpose of risk management has been historically underutilized. What do you mean by that? Well, it's that, you know, it's, I guess I'll answer that in two ways. Number one is, as many, as everyone knows, there's an explosion of data over the past couple of years, and, and just companies have not been able to use that for the purpose of how they can prevent or detect risks in a more timely manner. I think, um, you know, if, if you think about the different industries, some sectors are ahead than, than others. So, for example, banks have been, kind of doing this uh, a lot more in there. I think they're more advanced. If you, you know, I take a day in a life example, you know, when I swipe my credit card, I get a random call from the fraud department of a bank asking if a transaction that I'm doing is really, you know, me doing that. It's, there's a lot of um, data behind that and analysis whether, you know, my credit card swipe represents my buying pattern and whether, you know, this is an, um, a fraudulent transaction. So this is kind of few and far between. We've seen a lot of sectors don't really apply risk management and and don't really use data very well for those types of things. And I think the future will really be, you know, how do you take more of those examples and look at other sectors? You know, how can I predict, for example, if I'm a life sciences company, if there's going to be a product recall? Would big data be able to help me understand that better? You know, those things, I think we're beginning to scratch the surface on on how you can harness that data more and use it towards um, managing the company better and managing the risks. Thank you very much. Thanks for that answer. And now, guess what, Ben Zimmerman? I know you've been waiting for the whole 57 minutes, we've, almost 57 minutes we've been on the air to tell me what your prediction is. So I want you to look into the crystal ball from your vantage point as a researcher and as somebody who is involved in, in uh, at EY in what you see in terms of the future of this topic, digital economy, risk, risk appetite, GRC, three lines of defense, any or all of the above. I'm going to give you a whole whopping 60 seconds, Mr. Zimmerman, to take a look in that crystal ball. I know you're ready for this. And tell me, what would change? change, let's say between now and 2020, you can give me a specific date or just be general, what will change about this topic, no reward without risk companies in the digital economy? Ben Zimmerman, prediction 60 seconds, it's all yours. All right. You know, I, it's a summary of what we've talked about today. You know, I look across at where ERP vendors are, the race to the cloud, all of it's moving there. And so the question becomes, and I guess this is the prediction piece. Companies will be more successful if they lean into risk. They align their objectives for risk and business. We're going to see greater levels of success. But there's an agile piece that they need to be ready for with disruptions that come in the market. So mm-hmm. listening to what we talked about today, my prediction is companies that embrace risk management, lean into it, tie it to their business, leverage technology and process correctly, will be more successful than companies that don't. 
Thank you. I have one quick question for you before I give Brian his 60 seconds and Kevin is. I promise you guys, you'll each get 60. Quick question, Ben. If everybody is trying to be more innovative and every company is looking at the disruptors, the new players in their, in their industry, in their field, wherever they are, they're part of the world. If everybody is saying, wow, we have a great risk appetite and they're all taking risks to be more competitive, how high do we raise the bar for that risk appetite? Just a quick question. Would we ever get into the danger zone if everybody's on the playing field taking risks? Ben, quick answer. No, very good. Uh, we, we promote a balanced profile. So we're not promoting that good management will allow you to raise your risk appetite. What it's going to allow you to do is manage your current risk appetite and have the right data to know if you do need to move that bar. Thank you very much, Brian Ocampo. You are 60 seconds of predictions, all yours. Sure, absolutely. And I think on the technology enablement side, which is what I'll focus on, is I think robotics will continue to, to play a, a much larger role towards risk management. And, you know, I, if I think about many companies today, the way they identified risk issues is they have to manually trigger a process, whether it's an audit or an assessment or someone performing a review and discovering you know, issues in, in their control environment. And through robotics, you can automate a lot of that, right? So, so that it's telling you instead what needs to be done. And I think that's just going to be a, a really cool and an application of technology and how it can help monitor and be that extra ears and eyes for the company. Thank you very much. And Mr. Kevin McCollum, I saved. Oh, my goodness, Kevin. Shocking. I have 90 seconds for you because they were so concise. So go ahead. Use them well, Kevin. I shall. And uh, it won't take 90 seconds. I'm the eternal optimist. And to be perfectly candid, I, I told you early on, uh, um, you got, I guess you've got to be the eternal optimist with all the bad press that uh, millennials get to, to really embrace <laughs> that generation. But millennials... Uh, seasoned managers, whatnot. I see, embrace. I see innovation. I see this as the innovation age, and innovation is really on a rocket ride. And I expect it to. Con- I expect it to continue for years to come. And I think with that becomes uh, becomes an embracing of measured innovation like the Apple iDevices, which were, as I said, a masterwork in introduction of products in a stepwise fashion, introduction of innovation in a stepwise fashion, not too quickly, um, just at the right time for the market. I see that trend continuing, and I see just an incredible boom in innovation. And uh, I think that's great for the future of companies and our society. So. Thank you very much. I hear a lot of optimism in that. Uh, let me just do a quick bonus round. We have about, oh, two minutes left. I can use 60 seconds before I thank you all and tell you all how brilliant you are and appreciate you. Uh, ben Zimmerman, Brian Ocampo, Kevin McCollum, what will the name of that chief risk officer be? What will be on the back of that director's chair? CRO, will it be CR? M-O-C, Chief Risk Management Appetizer Management. What will that name of that person be by 2020? Ben, what would the title be? Hmm, you caught me off guard with that one. I I think you know, I, I don't focus on title as much as long as the activities line up. I think Chief Risk Officer. Okay. Brian, do you like that one or you want to add a couple letters? 
I like the ring of a chief samurai going back to my coat. Earlier. Oh, <laughs> hey, that deserves, apl- um, that deserves applause. That was a beautiful one. Thank you. I should have seen that one coming. Kevin McCollum, we have chief risk officer, chief samurai officer, or just chief samurai? I think we'll leave that. CS. Kevin, what do you want to be in that C-suite? Who should it be? In the C-suite, it's going to be the chief it's going to be the, the CXO. Everyone in the C-suite needs to embrace risk. The CFO, the chief um, financial risk. The CEO, strategic risk. The CRO is the custodian and the steward of that. Um, so I'll go with CRO. But I'm going to top, tip my cap to you, Bonnie, and say everyone in the organization should be embracing risk. So I say that you, everybody in organizations, has a personal stake in innovation and risk at the company. Very well put. And my title would be, I would think it would be the CDO, Chief Deli Officer, because appetizers and an appetite for risk. Sorry, guys, I had to throw that in. Ben Zimmerman, it's been such a pleasure. Brian Ocampo as well. Kevin McCollum, come back anytime. I think we need to do a part two on this at some point. I'm going to hook you up with somebody at SAP who is bringing back our Financial Excellence Series very soon and see if he wants to use you on one of his shows. Otherwise, I will bring you back here. So thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. I have to also Acknowledge Rui Yoshi at EY, who has been tweeting, and Jennifer Lampson, and Alicia Rudolph, and a whole bunch of other people. Thank you so much for listening and sharing the wows, the words of wisdom from my wonderful panelists. Here's my call to action, and there's no risk in my saying this. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you, well, if you take out the risk, you put the seatbelt on. What are you waiting for? Go out and be like Ben, be like Brian, be like Kevin. Go out and be a game changer today, right now. I'll see you tomorrow with two live shows, 10 a.m. Eastern and 2 p.m. Eastern right here on the Business Channel. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 